In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, O heavenly King, the comfort of the Spirit of truth, who art ever our present and fillest all things, treasure your blessings and give our life. Come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls, a good one. Illumine our hearts, O Master, love us mankind with pure light of thy divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of thy gospel teachings. And plant also in us fear, the fear of thy blessed commandments that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as well pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies of Christ your God, and to thee do we ascribe glory, together with thy fathers from everlasting and all holy good and life creating spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. 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 So we're going to jump right in and start with Titus 1 again, but rereading at least the first three verses, because I believe we got uh, through verse 2. So we need to read the first three verses just to get back into the groove. And then uh, then after we do verse 3, then we'll read a few more verses and go from there. So who would like to read the first three verses? Go ahead. First three verses. Chapter 1. Oh, Andrew, we're... we're yeah, well, Chapter two might be in January. Go ahead. Yep. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested His word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So we, last time, we talked about, in general, the importance of Scripture in our lives, the need to be in Scripture, to be marinating in Scripture, memorization of Scripture, uh, the images, metaphors of Scripture, maybe I didn't say exactly this, but I'm just going to keep going here, uh, that they are things that animate and are in our life and how, uh, changing how we think. So that also changes our heart. And so when we especially hear and can take things like uh, that God, that we are the elect of God, that there is hope of eternal life from a God who cannot lie, who is faithful and has promised all of this from before the foundation of the world. I'm adding something here uh, from another text in the New Testament. But then as you're reading something like just these three verses that and knowing Paul, but not just Paul, the Old Testament especially, but knowing Paul, it's helpful uh, to be able to hear how all of these sentences resonate and how this is very Paul (laughs) to say these guys like you're the elect of God. God chose you from before the foundation of the world that that's not necess- that's not calvinistic to say that that is the language of scripture some of us might go what <laughs> but that is the language of scripture they're not just making that up uh and now since we have this god the eternal god who has given us all of this this gift of eternal life the hope of the gift of eternal life who is faithful as he's raised his son this is romans 1 like raised his son by the power of the holy spirit that is the god who cannot lie has now, how has he manifested this, this truth? Through the preaching. Through preaching. If somebody had asked you, if I was like, 
How has God manifested things to us about his plan? Most would probably say something, Jesus brought the good news, etc., right? Would you, would you, one of your first 10 options been through preaching? Anybody? If it was your preaching. <laughs> Let me take notes. Hold on. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> that manifestation, like, this is Paul who in Corinthians talks about how his preaching, like, he doesn't come with great, like, oratory skills, kind of like, mo- like echoing Moses here, right? Like, he, he, has come and all he's got is the power of the cross, the word of the cross. But this is exactly how God manifests his word through preaching. Have you guys heard, uh, this has become a very famous line and there's nothing necessarily bad with it. And it's attributed to Francis of Assisi. Yeah. Hmm. You know exactly where I'm going. Well, what is it? It is uh, something like uh, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. Right. I like that, but I also don't like that. I don't even know if it's actually Francis. You know how these things... Yeah, like Abraham Lincoln talking about PlayStation 2s or something. (laughs) Uh, You get in the manifestation of preach, like, there is something true about that. Our lives should be a sermon. But let's be honest, most people can't interpret a lot of our actions or our lives very well unless we articulate and talk about them, right? There is something about the actual preaching. Now, does that, am I starting to point towards like everybody, we need to start taking shifts down at the the corner with signs and start just kind of like, I I think we need to be wise. I I really don't think that actually works. Uh, But I do think that there is a tendency And I think this is especially for us as Orthodox, because a lot of us kind of come into Orthodoxy in some ways to get out of other situations where certain things that are good in other situations, then we just kind of lose that in Orthodoxy. Like we're almost going to become like monks where we've cloistered ourselves from the world and we don't really have to engage with the world anymore. But the manifestation of his word is through preaching. And... All of us have some responsibility for preaching, right? Like, it's not just me on the ambo preaching. There is an aspect of needing, uh, I think, especially as we go through this, because it's like, what is he going to do with qualifications for elders or bishops? Because Chrysostom kind of, he says bishops, but it's kind of like bishop at this time and priest are a little bit more equal to each other than then the kind of differentiation that we have now it's very clear like there's the bishop in an area but there's like priest bishop overseers that were basically in charge of areas so i'm not clergy or i'm not ordained so therefore what does this have to do but the reality of the apostolic message is incumbent upon all of us because god manifests himself through preaching so why am I <clears throat> there is a need to be able as Peter talks about to be able to have a defense have an explanation of things and I'm not saying everybody needs a seminary degree to be completely honest going to seminary does not necessarily <laughs> prepare you to do that seminary is a grab bag of all sorts of stuff uh, 
you get some tools. It's like you go to seminary, kind of like law school, <laughs> medical school, all sorts of schools. You get tools, and they teach you the basics, and then they say, okay, you've now paid us this money, now go out into the world and figure it out. That's kind of seminary, too. So there is still, uh, in the study of Scripture, et cetera, to need to be able to proclaim the gospel, to be able to articulate what the gospel means, uh, and not just uh, always defer or be silent at times when there's, there's time to say that there's hope to somebody who has no hope, that there is meaning when they think there's no meaning, that uh, when they're struggling with something, marriage, friendship, all these things like, well, I mean, you need to do this with tact, discernment, etc. Like, Bible thumping doesn't really necessarily work, but sometimes we take that and we go so far, Bible thumping doesn't work that we don't even think about the Bible <laughs> to even articulate or talk about it with others. So I'm starting to go too far. Does anyone have any questions or comments or observations? What's the meaning of preaching then? What is the meaning of preaching? Well, what do you think? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, like, like so let's think saying. of the book of Acts. What, what is going on in the book of Acts? I'll just use the New Testament. What are the situations where there's preaching? Um, yeah, Pentecost. There's Pentecost. There's multiple sermons yeah. given in the book of Acts, right? And it's a lot of different settings. Well, they're going in synagogues. They're going in the synagogues. They're going into situations. Paul before, I don't know which ruler, but he's before certain rulers. Yes, he's before like a Roman ruler, before the Sanhedrin, like all of these situations. There's also, I'd say, did the Ethiopian eunuch, did he have the gospel preached to him? Yes. There, there is the explication. Uh, I'm sure some of you, and I know I'm not the only one going around in a dress that gets questions all the time. <laughs> get asked at some point if they know that you're a Christian about certain things, right? Sure. What do you think about God? Or I know that you go to church. And there's opportunities in there to manifest God's word, to manifest his truths. And I would say it's preaching. You might think three point, uh, uh, alliterative, I have a point and it's, uh, and they're all A's. No, I don't. <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that, but I think an understanding of preaching, yes, there's kind of like public proclamation, that's a primary meaning, but I do think there are secondary ways in which uh, explaining who Jesus is, right. what scriptures teach. And I'll say this especially for dads, like there's a responsibility in homes to preach. <laughs> that doesn't mean that you make a fake pulpit and get up there and preach, but like... <coughs> You have the opportunity as leadership in your home to be able to articulate what the Christian faith is uh, and to pray about, like, be concerned and prayerful about that. Uh, because, especially as you got little ones growing up, because you need to preach it to yourself, too. <laughs> so maybe I'm being a little elastic with this word, but I do think. Uh, it, there is many valences of meaning in preaching. Okay. Uh, this is tangential, but this actually just came up. And, um, so uh, in a lot of the Latin hagiographical texts and biographies and, and whatnot, the, when a spouse witnesses to another spouse, the term that they use 
is the same term for preaching. So, I mean, uh, so it seems like it's an elastic. At least in Latin, it's an elastic. I'm fine. So I presume we're, at, we're, we're solidly in the first millennia, so that's fine. Yeah. Even that. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> no, it is in the first. It's like yeah. 600. Yeah. Yeah. I like preaching to the choir because they already know what I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mary to sit, down. sit down. I'm going to preach to you. <laughs> but you got to start doing that. Hey. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> no, I do think uh, there is a tendency in becoming orthodox, at least I observe this in myself, where, and, in a, and it's good to say, like, well, I defer to my bishop and my priest in, you know, in a sense of, well, I'm not my own authority, which is true, but I don't see the church asking me in a moment where I'm being asked if I'm a Christian or what are my thoughts on these matters to go, well, let me go ask for the bishop's blessing to tell you at lunch um, what, I, what my thoughts on the matter are. I can't be martyred yet until I get yeah. a letter from my bishop. Yeah, I need a letter from my bishop to, to, you know, to, to, to say this, but um, it seems that in the language of the church, it is, it's assuming that I am absorbing these things and it's feeding my soul and, and um, countless fathers saying, go to the scriptures, learn the scriptures. Well, doesn't, the scriptures. It, doesn't it specifically say, you know, don't think about what you're going to say in these moments because the spirit will be with you. So what does that mean? What do you think that means? I think on some level it just means you're being open and, and honest with, with what, you know, what you, what you perceive, not trying to put on a show, not trying to mm -hmm. fancy it up with pretty words, but you just look, this is what I've experienced, this is what I've, I've seen. Which is what Paul's doing, right? He's testifying to, and I don't mean that in a technical sense, but he's testifying to what he has seen and known, right? Like he's got a story. Uh, I, I also think, I was smiling while you were talking, Cooper, because I can remember, has anyone had um, Mormons uh, knock on the door? Yep. Yeah. And had... <laughs> I still have them knock on the door. So they come in, right, the elders who are the 17-year-olds, and, and they, they want to talk to you about God. So if you want to just talk, they're kind of at a loss because you know what they're coming in. They've got like one or two prepped, this is the course that I'm going to lead you through. And if you start to get a field from that, you're talking to a 17-year-old who doesn't really know that much. Hmm. So, yeah, right. Like, part of it in being able to be at that time, it doesn't mean, because this is, I've heard that interpreted literally, like, you shouldn't prepare. Like, homilies shouldn't be prepared. You just wait until the Spirit moves you. Uh, <laughs> but that, that I, I don't think that, well, I think more of what you were saying, Cooper, is like out of the abundance of your heart, if you are contemplating and you are struggling and walking the walk, there's going, when there's times that you're going to be open to having to say something, you don't need to worry about it. You're going, what you're going to say, if you are being truthful and honest, that doesn't mean you need to know the answer to everything. Right, it's quite all right. There's many times where I have to say, "I don't know. Let me look into that, or let me go ask the bishop." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this is a very hard thing for we moderns, especially I think, to do is to to say, "I don't know." 
I mean, it's a human condition. It's difficult, but I think we're at an especially difficult moment because it's like the expectation is you should. Everything should be like immediately available and presentable. I, I think I think there's some sense that we have that, or at least be like, well, I can look it up on Google. And, and right, and there's that too. Ten seconds. And then I've got to know the correct search term. <laughs> Let me read this from Chrysostom. He's talking about preaching being committed to him, right? Like that preaching is committed to someone. Mm -hmm. For this included everything, the gospel and things present and things future, life and godliness and faith and all things at once. Through preaching, that is, openly and with all boldness, for this is the meaning of preaching. For as a herald proclaims in the theater in the presence of all, so also we preach adding nothing but declaring the things which we have heard for the excellence of a herald consists in proclaiming to all what has really happened not in adding or taking away anything if therefore it is necessary to preach it is necessary to do it with boldness of speech otherwise it is not preaching on this account christ did not say tell it upon the housetops but preach it upon the housetops showing both the place and by the manner what was to be done. There's a few things that, that jump out at me and as Chrysostom talks about this, it being committed to you that there is, in preaching, that there is a boldness. Uh, and I think a lot of times, I don't think he boldness, he means intensity of voice. <laughs> right? Like that you're really intense with people. I don't think that's what he means. I think he means more confidence that what you are preaching is something that is actually comes from deep conviction because it's been committed to you. You've committed it uh, in your heart so that when it's coming out, it's not, this sounds fake. <laughs> this is, I don't, I don't know if I believe this, uh, but that there is a conviction that comes with that. Because I think there is, and a lot of these talk, talk about agiography, there is the witness of the confidence of faith in the face of death and torture and being brought before the local governor, which is probably the highest officer you're ever going to go before, right, in Rome, <laughs> that you would stick with it, like the book of Acts, that you're going to say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of God, that takes boldness. And I think that we're starting to get to that place. Do, do you all remember we did back during the kind of the height of the pandemic, we were doing those like um, online Zoom sessions where we read um, Live Not By Lives and we also read the other book that was... No, this was uh, this was the Christian what life <laughs> forum or something like that. Though, uh, and we were talking about uh, I used as a grid, and this is something that's been on the podcast, uh, the Every Thought Captive, Father Joseph and I talking about this, where Christianity historically in this country was a social positive. Mm -hmm. There was a period where everyone was like, great. Then there was a neutrality. And this was kind of the 90s, where it's like, that's cool that you do that. Like, just, you do you, I'll do me, whatever. Mm. 
And then this one particular author says, basically around Obergefell, you get where Christianity is now starting to be. Of course, this depends on where you live uh, and the circles that you're in. But that in the general discourse, Christianity is starting to become a, neg a social negative. And so there are going to be things that are questioned that I think Chrysostom here, when he talks about the gospel, includes things present, things future, life, godliness, faith, faith all things at once. He's not just saying the minimal, like Jesus Christ is God, and that's the gospel. I think he's saying Jesus Christ is God and, and the Lord, and the, everything that comes with that, too. Uh, it's not just the simple proposition, and that's it, but that's what, everything that comes with that. What is creation? What is man? What is woman? Like, all of these things that are now being hotly contested and debated, these are now things where, as a Christian, like, well, there's a man, there's a woman, this is where sex happens in a marriage. Like, all of these kind of things, these are all debated now. Are you saying we're not just concerned with the fundamentals? Yes. <laughs> Chrysostom just said, like, what does the Herald do in the theater? Announces the movie. <laughs> no, he tells it like it is, and he doesn't do what? He doesn't add or take away. He doesn't add or take away anything. That's a, that's actually throughout scripture. That's a warning, right? I believe in the book of Revelation, oh, yeah. right? Do not add, do not take away. This is so or Paul's warning in, to the Galatians like if another angel comes, uh whether it's in upstate New York or in Arabia or wherever an angel comes and says this is the new gospel, like anathema, right? That's not the gospel. So to have boldness uh, to, because this is the manifestation of his word. This is how people actually know. Otherwise, people don't know. You have to say something at certain points. Again, prayerfully, with discernment. You don't just go around hitting people over the head with it. It doesn't. That doesn't work. But you also can't go the other direction where you don't ever say anything. I think it seems to me that discernment is really the key word because it does seem like that there actually are some situations where maybe not physically, but sort of hitting them over the head is actually what's called for. You have some, <laughs> John the Baptist, right? Some of the fools for Christ that were very. Oh yeah. I mean, calling out, you know, Ivan the Terrible and things like that. It's like they were not being maybe a super as tactful as I would be probably right yes and, and so I think that I'm not saying that we should be doing that because I mean I remember street preachers down on campus like when I was in school and I didn't re usually think that was particularly effective but I think uh, you know I think there are situations where that's sort of what it takes honestly yeah that kind of hard hard medicine sometimes it's like Chauncey the gardener and being there you're gonna have to explicate <laughs> that one for me. Yeah, that's not, I actually know that uh, Peter Sellers reference. Yeah, yeah this is perfect. What's his name? I'm gonna thank my dad. Who man. played the part? Peter, Peter Sellers. Sellers. Peter yeah. Sellers. Yeah. Oh, you gotta see it. Okay. Because you'll, you'll get this. But you know, in the spring there'll be growth, and, then, and they thought it was a political statement. You mean? But sometimes to make a garden right, you gotta get in there and knock some weeds out and some stumps out and some rocks out, and you gotta get a little mean with it and all that to get all that up so the soil can be fruitful and growing and all that so there are times when you got to be tough with it yeah. then you got to remember to be nice to it yeah I think though the most you're talking about is you don't say you should be what I am and da 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 <laughs> right. and, and it's just more hey this is what I am yeah but I, 
I'm thinking also in my own life, some of the times that I have benefited the most was when someone gave me what at the time was a very hard word. And mm -hmm. I didn't take it well yeah. at the time, yeah. but later I appreciated that. Well, and, and that's, I think it's a good point that, that, you, that you don't try to say that what works for somebody else is going to work for everybody else because, uh, I don't know, that, that, uh, that street preacher yeah. that, that, that offends 200 people that day for one person, Maybe. he might plant a seed that that might five years from there, from that point, uh, grow something. Maybe that person hears is going to be in heaven one day because of what that person said. And so there's different kinds of street preaching, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I love that we're talking about street preaching, but so okay. there is an Orthodox guy actually, uh, I think in Pennsylvania. Penn State and other places where he would do street preaching. But his way of preaching is not like, I think when we all think of street preaching, we think of like, mm -hmm. y'all are going to hell! Sodomite! So they just like, go down list! Fornicators! Uh, you're burning! Like, okay, Paul says stuff like that, but like, <laughs> that is probably not like rhetorical 101. That's not gonna actually get somebody. But I've seen other situations in street preaching where they want to engage about questions uh, about something like abortion or something like that. Just wanting to talk, like because a lot of people have ideas. It's just like, the, oh, hold on, no, that's not <laughs> that's not true. Yeah, I was <laughs> looking up the bishop in New York that. Uh, oh, Archbishop Michael. Yeah, with the pro-life movement. Hmm. Pretty bold. I mean. He's out there, and it's they're doing like a service on the street, and they're like it, people screaming at him. But it's certainly not aggressive. There's a difference, I think, between like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's in love, but it's bold. Like it's very bold, but it's still got the tone of. I mean, we are the Church of Christ, you know, yeah. in that we represent our Lord, and but our Lord in Matthew 23 had very. Very, very words that if you ever said here, Father, we'd be like, "What's wrong? What happened?" And he's very, and Jesus is very comfortable with speaking that way. And I guess it is interesting because you know if we look at, you know, Jesus is the paradigm of you know what it means to preach here. I mean, yeah, we we see all of these different methods mm -hmm. used and employed, up to and including you know going into the temple and just like you know, I don't like tearing stuff out of you here, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, well, look at the yard sale. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you yeah. money changers. Money I think the, the intentionality is very key as well. Because, like, something that I constantly see reading various um, spiritual fathers and others is that all the time, and I mean, I speak specifically about St. Joseph the Hysakes because he's one I'm more familiar with than others. But he would do this thing all the time where he would just like speak very sternly to people that needed it without feeling any animosity. Mm -hmm. Like it was like he was putting on an act almost. Mm -hmm. And you see that all the time um, where he wasn't genuinely angry, but he knew that that person needed something a little bit stronger to call them to wake up, get their attention. And I mean, I'm, I think anybody in position of authority kind of knows what that's like. I mean, in my position as a housing manager, there's sometimes when I have to sit people down and just like really speak strongly to them, um, but I don't feel angry at them. I just have to wake them up. So I think that's that's a big part of it is 
am speaking and preaching the gospel strongly when necessary? Am I getting caught up in feeling of animosity or anger? Or am I doing this because I genuinely am seeking this person's good and I want to help them pay attention? So uh, to piggyback kind of on what you're saying, Josh, uh, that intentionality, I think, if you are going to be in a situation where you are sharing or you are like John the Baptist pointing to the lamb, uh, you need to make sure that you are actually pointing to him and have that desire is not, because part of the challenge is like actually wanting somebody to encounter Christ and not that you are arguing to win an argument, right? To like (laughs) score points uh, to, uh, you know, get up votes, (laughs) (laughs) to do whatever, to attack the right, the left, whatever, like own the libs or whatever against the right, like all those kind of things, like that's not really the point. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you aren't truthful or that you might need to speak with authority that might not go over well, but that also doesn't mean, because I've also seen this, taking the license to then just be a jackass. (laughs) Right? Like, well, I'm right, so... Christ was bold. (laughs) (laughs) And so to be just like, again, to go back, like the fathers talk about discernment is like one of the greatest gifts. Mm -hmm. And it's something that you need. This is part of like being in the sacramental life of the church, like confession, like actually seeking Christ and doing the basic attending to your soul. Otherwise you're not ready to preach. Mm. It's not coming out of a heart that is seeking God primarily. It might just be a reaction, a defense, uh, a one-off. Yeah. So my question then is, where does discernment come from? Nice, easy one. Softball there for you. <laughs> hey, Rob. I'm going to uh, go get some wine. <laughs> you know, I actually did a few pl- uh, blog posts about discernment. I'm not joking. <laughs> but... Um, you did, I, I yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to remember. It's what John Cashin is talking about. And part of what he's talking about is, one, knowing Scripture and the Fathers. Like, knowing what the inheritance yeah, is so that you're speaking with the mind of the church and not just on your own. Like, Because a lot of people also like a lot of their pet theories about things <laughs> instead of, like, actually what Scripture says. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, come on. Go on the Internet. What are you going yeah. to encounter? Like... We're going to retake Constantinople. Or, <laughs> I'm not really? joking. I know that you guys know I'm not joking. Oh, like, there, there's a lot of yeah, stupid. Paiso said <laughs> one time. So there, there's this stuff that is around that's like, okay, that's quaint. But that that's not actually what the content of the gospel is. Uh, so I think discernment on one level is the spirit of being able, one, conforming yourself and seeking the wisdom of God having counsel around you that you seek counsel from those uh it doesn't have to just be me right like there's all sorts of brothers that you are surrounded by here your wife is probably also a a pretty decent counselor because she knows you and all your foibles and flaws and ridiculousnesses so uh they can they can be good counselors. Well, she's a seminary father. <laughs> <laughs> well, going to seminary, again, does not give, grant you the gift of discernment. 
Uh, oh, that it would. But Can we have a hotline for a SWAT team to come? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I have to go back. I recommend you can go on <laughs> the Thought Captain blog and find where uh, I talk about discernment on there. Actually, did an interview with Father, I'm forgetting his name now. I can see him, but I can't remember his name. I think it was Douglas something. I think good men wear black type thing, which is kind of like for priests oh, and those yeah. who are discerning seminary, where he, we were specifically talking about discernment and the Desert Fathers. So this is two years ago, so my mind has been a lot of places since then. So, this is this preaching is committed to us according to the commandment of God. Uh, it is not optional. It is a command, and it's given to us uh, just that we need to actually do it. <laughs> it's not just if this is something that you would like to do, but it is actually a commandment. Shall we move to the next few verses? Mark, I hear. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of, when I first came in here, that we all should go out and preach or something, and I'm kind of sitting there going like, where is that? Is it a Proverbs or something where we read on great saints, they only have readings about he who uh, tries to rebuke uh, a scoffer is going to get his head Ooh. cut off or... You know, there's those, it's like, yeah. you know, so you got to pick and choose yeah. what your ability is. And not everybody has the ability. Now, if in those that you don't, if you can just plant the seed of, I don't want to upset you, but you know, we're, but that's all you yeah. can do sometimes. I don't have the gift of doing like what I hear you doing up there. So, right. My no. attention, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're, you're right. Like, what you're pointing to is exactly the discernment. I highly recommend reading Proverbs. Uh, I used to kind of be like, this is kind of whatever. But the older I get, the more I look at the Proverbs, I'm like, man. I mean, I always knew, like... Where's that woman that's taking care of all the... Who's going to sit me down? Her husband looks good in the... Uh, <laughs> the city gate. The yeah. gates. Yeah. yeah. So, but... But going to things like Proverbs, to think about what our Lord... I mean, this is, again, like knowing Scripture, getting that scriptural mind allows you and forms you and gives you the spirit of discernment because you're seeking wisdom because discernment is just wisdom right like mm -hmm. knowing like what is it the the proverb like a fitly uh said word is like finer than you golden know that one the golden apple silver there yeah. you go that's i was like no it's gold and silver but i couldn't remember what it, <laughs> so well it was the last time father we were talking about basically used to the preparation for the diaconate or the priesthood was you memorized all of this stuff from so the bishop, the uh, the psalter, you had to have the psalter memorized. Really? So the next time you see an Orthodox bishop, starts like, okay, Psalm nineteen. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> that but part of it is like the Orthodox version, <laughs> right? Is that the Septuagint, the Masoretic? But but the reality, I think, why they were able to do that is because what do you do in a monastery day in and day out? You do the Psalter all the time. So that sounds like this incredible, like, man, they just sat down and memorized it. No, they spent a decade in a monastery hearing the Psalter all the time and reading it all the time. It's going to get committed to memory. You're going to remember that proverb better than I just did. <laughs> right? Like, because it'll be there. That doesn't mean immediate recall, but you're shaped in that world. One thing is that when... 
to me, when I hear wisdom, the Theotokos comes to my mind all the time. I don't know if that's her or she's just part of wisdom and there's other and all that, but she comes heavy on my mind when spoken of wisdom. Probably because you are the choir director and at all Marian feasts, what do we read from? Well, Proverbs, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, she there's wisdom. Yeah, she is wisdom. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the scriptures especially say Christ is wisdom incarnate, right? Like, he is the Torah. He is, like, God's word. But who beside him is going to show the most wisdom? It's it's going to be the mother of God. So when they read things like Proverbs, when they read this kind of, like, woman that you're seeking after uh, to imitate who more than the mother of God, who showed in her own life... Uh, that life in the temple, that life before God, that humility and um, openness to God's commandments, that is true wisdom. What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord, right? Which we all know that's not like scary boo fear. That's like, you're God. And (laughs) there's a professor at St. Vlad's who say every morning, he had retired by the time I got there, but the lore, right, that goes to seminary that keeps or stays around uh you wake up in the morning and you go in the mirror he was arab and you go you you are god you are not god looking in the mirror like (laughs) like remind yourself you're god you are not god (laughs) tomorrow morning is going to be a different day Did your razor break, honey? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got a tourniquet. So there's there's very similar to a line from the movie Rudy as well. Really? Where the the priest says to Rudy, "There's only two things I've learned in all my decades of theological speculation: there is a God, and I'm not Him." Mm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. When he's trying, he puts him in Saint Mary. Yeah. 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 They need to teach that to some federal judges. (laughs) (laughs) But this is, I mean. If you're like just knowing that you can summarize scripture in those kind of ways, like there is a God, we're not God. Well, in a world that denies God, everything gets topsy turvy because there is no, there's no canon. I'm using that like there's no line, there's no like rule which to guide, to measure, to make sense of anything. So something like those little things, I mean, they kind of sound bumper sticker or movie line but like there's a deep deep truth in those things like yeah duh, damn. <laughs> we need structures to focus our attention yeah we do need structure provides meaning thank you Peugeot <laughs> I was listening to him today <laughs> <laughs> alright let's uh, let's do four through nine this is me being very hopeful <laughs> somebody else Sure, I'll go. Go for it. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, 
but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So Titus, uh, Paul in writing to Titus, uh, he is a true son because uh, as this basically this blessing, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, that Titus is, in Paul's mind, a true son because Paul and Titus are both sons, right? They're both sons of the common father, that he is the God and father of all of us. And it is Paul, in giving this blessing to him, uh, because he's got quite a task ahead of him to choose men that he is going to lay hands upon and put uh, in a place of responsibility, right? To put things in order because there's things that are lacking. And this is where Chrysostom and in, in talking about uh, what Paul is basically putting Titus up to do, uh, he is reflecting upon the weight of the pastoral office. So uh, this is Chrysostom. Observe also how he offers the same prayers for the teacher as for the disciples and the multitude. So that he is talking to Titus and for all in that, that common bond and faith in God. For indeed he needs such prayers as much or rather more than the, the multitude, Titus here, by how much he has greater in, enmities to encounter and is more exposed to the necessity of offending God. For the higher is the dignity, the greater are the dangers of the priestly office. For one good act in his Episcopal office is sufficient to raise him to heaven and one error to sink him to hell itself. For to pass over all other cases of daily occurrence, if he happens, either from friendship or any other cause, to have advanced an unworthy person to the Episcopal office and has committed him to the rule of a great city, see to how great a flame he renders himself obnoxious. Some of this is Victorian language that I'm trying to uh, edit on the fly here. So scripture talks about not quickly laying hands on those who are basically neophytes in the f faith to positions of um, authority because as Christosom reflects here there is uh, when someone is raised to an office bishop uh, priesthood they are put in a a great grave danger okay uh, he goes on to talk about because if you're not ready for that or if you have not excised there's always the temptation and this is very St. John Chrysostom money uh, love of money, vainglory, self-will, uh, because the office gives him power and by offenses, insults, and reproaches, reproaches numberless other evils. He goes on to talk about the weight that is in the pastoral office. So a bishop especially needs the grace and peace of God, for without these he governs the people all is ruined and lost for want of those helms. 
And though he be skilled in the art of steering, like he's talking about a boat here, he will sink the vessel and those that sail in it if he has not these helms, the grace and peace of God. So why am I talking about this? You know, it is one thing in your morning prayers, there is a place, especially in commemorations, for spiritual father, for clergy, etc. Mm-hmm. I please do that. <laughs> please, please pray for the our bishop, the synod, uh, for priests, for ev- obviously everyone. But there is a special weight that is on clergy that the way that the fathers talk about it, it's like there's a special like sign on them to go after them. So when Paul says, uh, Hebrews 13, verse 17, uh, which I believe was the reading, Frank, you did the reading, right? Mm-hmm. There was the reading this past Sunday for the Fathers of the Seven Ecumenical Councils, because whenever we have Fathers of the whatever Ecumenical Council, the reading is one of the, the sentences, Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, for they have watched for your souls as they must give account. So one of the realities and just there is a a difference i don't know if you all have experienced it i've definitely experienced it (laughs) a gulf between what you maybe had as a protestant pastor and then an orthodox priest uh they serve different functions what do you think some of the different functions there is between protestant pastor and orthodox priest Confession. Confession. Yeah. Confession. Yes. The truth. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. It's too many even even a number really. I mean, just, uh, yeah. Let's do a few things. What What do you think? Presiding over the Eucharist is. Huge. Yeah, the sacrament. Mm-hmm. The sacrament. The life. Yeah. Well, he's like your he's like your dad. He's your you know you, you go to him for guidance. You you uh. <laughs> um, are gonna. Talk to them about a lot of things you wouldn't necessarily talk to your uh, to your pastor. I mean, just just the role of a priest, mm-hmm. and since it's not really enculturated in us like it is in some places in the world, uh, it, it's it's kind of a new thing you have to grow into. But I like uh, um, like in like in Eastern Europe or in Greece, the the relationship of a priest to his parish is stuck. It's, it's it's very it's very different. The, the notion of hierarchy is just mm-hmm. so foreign yeah. to everything in which I, I think most of us probably grew up. With. What we swim in. Yeah, it's yeah. just completely different from the cultural milieu where we're trying to basically everything that we're taught from the moment we're born is everything just needs to get leveled because that's where everything is. But that that's not what the relationship of a priest is to parishes. Also, I think the fact that the priest serves in the stead of the bishop. <laughs> yeah, I, I think of a pastor. At least, I mean, a good one would be like a, a teacher, and maybe a counselor, maybe a wise counselor. You know, I, um, but he's not going to have a sacramental function. So I think priest—that's the, the the fundamental difference—is that he's performing sacraments. Yes, there's a lot more gatekeeping involved for a priest in terms of shepherding. Uh, that was the word I was thinking was shepherding. Yeah, where, like, I, you hear my confession, and but that's also connected to my access 
to the supper, you know, to the Eucharist, and mm -hmm. that is very. That goes back to the hierarchy, because that's very much connected to your role and and your blessing and grace given through the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands, and it's just it's a lot more involved. And I'm five years into being Orthodox, and I feel like there's just now like I think two confessions ago that connection was very just just kind of clicked in my head like oh like yeah like this is not just going like there's this is real a chat this over is, coffee yeah, yeah <laughs> this is very real and it's mm -hmm. very much connected to my salvation and to the other parts of my you know the sacramental life um and as one who was a protestant pastor i can tell you that was that just never crossed my mind. I mean, I just never functioned in that way. Uh, good teacher, tried to be a good yeah. teacher, tried to be a good counselor, but... Yeah. And I had people divulge things, but there was never... I knew I had no... Like, there was no grace given me to... Bind and loose. And, yeah, and that's, that's big. <laughs> yeah, that's... that. Well, you guys are hitting on exactly what, obviously, the fathers... I mean, what, what is in the service itself for the ordination of a priest. You all know the, the, the three hymns when a, a priest is ordained, right? And he's taken around the altar three times. Do you know what those three hymns are? Mm -hmm. It's the same hymns as a wedding. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no. Now I have to think of it. <laughs> we had to memorize <laughs> Rejoice, all this stuff. So Rejoice, O Isaiah. The apostles boast the martyr's joy whose teaching was the consubstantial trinity. So basically you have an incarnation, martyr, and then virgin theotokos, yeah. right? Like, so you get this like incarnation, the preaching of the gospel, and then you get martyrdom. This is all wedding stuff too, right? right? Because the priest is being married to the church. There is a pious tradition in the Russian church that priests take off their wedding band when they serve services, for example, uh, because there is a kind of like sacrifice that is happening. It's why it happens in the altar, the diaconate and the priesthood. Uh, bishops have the gospel because you're, the ordinations happen at particular times in the liturgy according to what they are being uh, consecrated to do, right? When are deacons ordained? We have to go back, what, three years now or something to Deacon Raphael? The Holy God, I think. Uh, nope, later. They are ordained after the consecration of the gifts. Okay. And then they are given a fan traditionally, and they fan the gifts because they're there to serve the altar after. The priest is ordained before the consecration, hmm. and the bishop is ordained before the reading of the gospel. Hmm. So you can see the different responsibilities that are given. Yes. Well, there's there's also that part of the ordination where the bishop will put a portion of the holy gifts in your hand and and say, keep this. Receive this divine trust and guard it until the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, at which time he will demand it from you. You're going to be accountable. And that's, and that's the... Um, Good luck. I'm still living into this reality because it's just like a constant like so there I, I want to read to you there's some really funny bits in Chrysostom actually uh, where go, go ahead Mark and I'll find exactly so, so readers are like at the hours 
Yes, the readers are done before the divine liturgy. The Same with the subdeacons. Subdeacon is done. Tonsured before the divine liturgy. Okay. Okay. So there's that order. Yep. When you go back to uh, the wedding and we're singing the dance, mm -hmm. the man and wife are tied together. Mm -hmm. The priest has the handcuffs. Yeah, he he will begin that, so and that's, that's what tie, that's your tie to Christ. When when you are vested, right? The 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 spiritual interpretation that are given when you put them on, it's psalms basically about like uh, obeying God's commandments. That you are shackled to the gospel, yeah. and that this is what the gospel is supposed to be, hmm. uh, because that having those on is also like the holding, reading the gospel, the etc. So the stole is a shepherd, right? Like. Uh, that it has a symbol that it's tied to like the Christ, the good shepherd that he has, uh, over no Maphorian is then the bishops that is like, he's the chief shepherd and the priest has the epitrahelion. And then the deacons is actually like a, a, the epitrahelion taken apart and just put over his shoulder. But that's still basically the Aurarian is the sign of the, of a pastoral office. And the subdeacon is always crossed. It remains crossed. Mm -hmm. Like where the, because he's got to work. He's yeah. got to use it. So historically, the we're used to do you know the flonian is the big like thing that i wear mm -hmm. uh you know what i'm talking about <laughs> so the the russian high back is typically the style that i've worn the cape there you go <laughs> i don't like that one as much <laughs> but what historically and you can see because russians will do these kind the flon the, the front of the flonian was like uh almost as long as the epithelion it was like down here and you're like how would you use your hands well Historic in the liturgy, the priest didn't really do anything with his hands because he was to pray. He he wasn't there to do stuff on the table. Later, they started making things where they like put it up and then they just cut it because deacon they stopped ordaining as many deacons and just the priest defaulted to having to use his hands more. So you can see in all these things this element of like the priest is consecrated to consecrate. That is his sacramental role, and that is like the main function that he does because all of the other sacraments flow in and out of the Eucharistic table, right? Mm -hmm. What is baptism and chrismation? It's preparation, initiation to the reception of Holy Communion. Uh, the sacrament of marriage is still, in a way, an icon, an image of the Eucharistic uh, sacrifice, right? Mm -hmm. Like the kingdom. Uh, there is and there used to be, that's why we have, uh, if you haven't been to an Orthodox wedding, the couple are given a chalice to drink wine out of. That is a remnant of when the wedding was in the divine liturgy itself. Mm -hmm. So it's left over from that. Uh, so it's like an echo of what it is. So there is in all of that, uh, I'm bringing that up, that, that the hierarchical element <sighs> to pray for your clergy the vision of the New Testament is also, of course, clergy are set for the sacraments, and it is always a temptation. It's, I think this is going back to the Old Testament, that uh, because we have division of labor, sometimes certain aspects of the division of labor can overtake other things to where the priest becomes, I mean, we can see this in all sorts of situations, pastor becomes... CEO, COO, CFO, right? Organization, finance, governance. When, where the, the, the primary function, because he is set aside, is to do the sacraments. 
and that the body of Christ, when working together, you may have heard me talk about this in sermons a few times, right? Like when Moses, he needs help, and he goes to Jethro. I love that his father-in-law's name is Jethro. Uh, <laughs> from the mountains. <laughs> from the mountains, and says, I can't do this anymore. He says, well, get a bunch of guys to help you. He's like, okay, that's good advice. <laughs> and thus becomes the bishop and the priest. But also, like, the priest and, like, all of these are all images. It's almost like Russian dolls. <laughs> uh, we well, recall that last Sunday I made you the captain of an aircraft carrier. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In catechism class. Yeah. <laughs> so, what... Um, there is... Well, let, let me go to... Chrysostom and what he he talks about. He talks about uh, to the faithful, and we'll end with this this funny bit. So, uh, the bishop is distracted on every side and is expected to do many things that are beyond his power. If he knows not how to speak, there is a great murmuring, and if he can speak, then he is accused of being vainglorious. If he cannot raise the dead, he's of no worth. They say such an one is pious, but this man is not. If he eats a moderate meal, for this he is accused. He ought to be strangled, they say. <laughs> you can see why Chris stems the golden mouth. You can just see people just like, I'm following this. This is interesting. <laughs> if he is seen at the bath, he is much censured. In short, he ought not to look upon the sun. If he does the same things that I do, if he bathes, eats, and drinks, and wears the same clothing, and has the care of a house and servants on one account... Is he set over me? But he has, okay, here's fourth century. But he has domestics to minister to him and an ass to ride upon. Why then is he set over me? But say, ought he then to have no one to wait upon him? Ought he himself to light his own fire, to draw water, to cleave wood, to go to the market? Again, fourth century. <laughs> How great a degradation would this be? Even if the holy apostles would not that any ministers of the word should attend upon the tables of the widows, but they considered it a business unworthy of them. And would you degrade them to the offices of your own domestics? Why dost not thou who commandest things come and perform these services? Tell me, does he not minister to you a better service than yours, which is bodily? Why do you not send your domestic to wait upon him? Christ washed the feet of his disciples. Is it a great thing for you to give this service to your teacher? But you are not willing to render it yourself and you grudge it to him. Ought he then draw his livelihood from heaven? But God wills not so. So I just thought it was hilarious how he's like, and you can think of this like bishops and because you hear about this or priests too. And I'm not, I'm not reading this because I want to say something to you guys. I'm just like, there is a tendency like, uh, and you hear this uh, in certain parishes, like how does he, I heard this, it was actually Baptist churches where they say, we keep them poor to keep them humble. <laughs> <laughs> That is not the case here at St. Anne's. I'm not saying that. But, like, there's this kind of tendency of exactly, like, this, going back to the 4th century, is like, how does he have that? Why does he do that? How could, like, so what Chrysostom is going after here is also saying, as we read through these, like, uh, requirements, is to actually judge things according to what Scripture says, and not just because we have maybe envy or something in our mind you can think of as he talks about like if you're in a position of leadership you're going to be criticized right mm -hmm. so there is in public life especially in church criticism that is given some of it 
if you have something you want to say to me, just take me aside and say something to me, right? Like, it is good to be able to have that back and forth, but uh, to use according to what, like, Scripture says and not just let things harbor. So, Christendom goes on, These are not the things we find blame or to be applauded for. For the qualities which a bishop is required to possess are different, as to be blameless, sober, orderly, hospitable, apt to teach. These things the apostle requires, and these we ought to look for in a ruler of the church, but nothing further. You are not more strict than Paul, or rather more strict than the Spirit. If you be a striker, or violent, or cruel, and unmerciful, accuse him. These things are unworthy of a bishop. If you be luxurious, this also is censurable. But if he takes care of his body that he may minister to you, if he attends to his health that he may be useful, ought he for this to be accused? Do you not know that bodily infirmity, no less than infirmity of soul, injures both us and the church? This is this is interesting. Chrysostom is talking about self-care here, <laughs> right? Like, he needs to take care of his body. Why otherwise does Paul attend to this matter in writing to Timothy? Use a little wine for your stomach's sake and offer... And your often infirmities. For if we could practice virtue with the soul alone, we need not take care of the body. And why then were we born at all? <laughs> but if this has contributed a great share, is it not the extreme of folly to neglect it? So I, when I first read this, I was like, whoa, Chrysostom is actually talking about healthy boundaries, <laughs> taking care of your body. Like things, if you read books about burnout, and this can apply, I think, to everybody, right? Yeah. These are the things. Take care of yourself. Like, don't eat crap. <laughs> Exercise. Get some sunlight. Like, all of these things. And Chrysostom is saying, like, don't criticize. I know you guys aren't criticizing me for doing these things. Uh, or not doing these things. But maybe sometimes a strong word of, like, are you going to the gym, Father? I'm like, actually, my arms hurt today. And I'm being serious. <laughs> I'm going to the gym. But... This full-orbed attention to our lives, right? Like he's saying, you can't be virtuous without the body. This is for all of us. Like we all need to take care of ourselves. And it's actually a spiritual priority. It's not a... Because I think we get this idea and we pick it up from other places. To be spiritual is to not do anything bodily. Well, right? you know, we fast two-thirds of the year. <laughs> But you can also fast in a way that all you're doing is carb loading yeah. and being super unhealthy, right? right? It's right. true Oreos. You Oreos. Oreos. Yeah. Oreos. Yeah, I can't imagine life without chocolate. <laughs> but the, so, like, you're obeying the letter of the law, but the spirit is completely absent, right? Mm. So you can follow the fasting rules and you can balloon because you're not taking care of anything. I, I would say it would be better for you to break the fast in order to be healthy in certain situations than it is to just eat more pasta, uh, right? <laughs> I'm just thinking of my first Lent where I, I ate the crust <laughs> off of a corn dog. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so, like, I'm so holy. <laughs> I should have read more Chris's <laughs> So you know why, so specifically Chris's part of the reason why he's saying this Historically, you know what he did when he went out first uh, before he was ordained. What did he go do? He went out into the mountains like all the ascetics, like what a good old Christian boy does. He goes and becomes a monk, right? Do you know what he did in doing that? He harmed himself, didn't he? He fasted so much, he physically harmed himself. So they had stomach issues the rest of his life. 
So, and you can read this and he, see it in his writings. Guess what? And we're seeing it right here. Like, don't overdo things. Use discernment. Use wisdom. Yeah. You have to be able to say, like, the letter of the law. And that this does, again, this goes back to there is, like, no wisdom in just saying, like, well, <laughs> Father just said I don't have to fast because that's dumb. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> and Chrysostom wouldn't say that. But he's also saying, like, if you are just like depriving of your, yourself to deprive yourself, that's also not healthy, right? Like you do need, if you go into monasteries, I'll tell you, I was just at a monastery. They eat <laughs> and they, they eat fasting food. Uh, and there's things, and you can tell like some of the older monks, like they're starting to get up in years. So there's no bread on their plate <laughs> because they can't. So there, there is this reality that we do need to attend to our bodies, that we need to attend to uh, boundaries and knowing when we need to say no to things uh, and some of this otherwise how do you get the orderliness how do you get uh, you can't be hospitable you can't actually be uh, sober-minded self-controlled if you don't start to take some of these things uh, and make them a spiritual issue for yourself it's not just oh that's physical it doesn't matter plus it's a form of pride how so elaborate I agree with you. I'm not disagreeing with you. I fall in this trap all the time where it's like I hate constantly running into my own weaknesses. So mm -hmm. I like to basically burn myself out by pretending I don't have them. Mm -hmm. And then inevitably I fall like flat in, on my face mm -hmm. in the process. And so if I had just admitted my weaknesses and allowed myself to embrace those from the outset, I wouldn't have been so devastated by the eventual falling wow. off the mountain. Yeah. You, yeah. You've read the screw tape letters before probably. Yeah. It's been on my There's yeah. an interesting part in there where he, he said he talks about um, he says that he thinks spiritually speaking um, there's you can have gluttony like you think of but his example was someone who's always like uh, uh, oh, I couldn't possibly eat that. It's far too much. Or I only eat this. Or I only eat this. It's still being obsessed with food. It's just like mm -hmm. in an ostentatious opposite way. Mm -hmm. And he says spiritually that's really still a form of gluttony. It's still obsession with food. But it's like, you know, oh, I only eat this. Or I can't eat that. Or take that away. Or it's, no. you know. But it's There's, I think, gourmandizing. Yeah. What's yeah. that? Well, gourmandizing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's like uh, you, you see this in really a lot of churches. I saw, saw it back in my old parish. Uh, beginning of Lent, people would engage in the great margarine debate. <laughs> I mean, they, they would sit for hours and debate okay, well, if we can't have butter, can we have margarine? And well, would or Does it have dairy solids in or oil? The you know the can it says olive oil, but does that include corn oil? But they didn't have corn oil back in the time of the just and they go for hours. Oh. It's like watching a puppy chase its tail around in circles. <laughs> and like you know, the idea is you should focus less on food, and yes. you're focusing entirely on food. Right. Before we should talk about preparing time. Lenten meals when Lent comes around. <laughs> yeah, here's one I got. So it's, it's, uh, this is exactly why you have uh, St. Basil, the Fool for Christ in Moscow, uh, when, who was talking, somebody mentioned St. Saint, uh, Saint Ivan, <laughs> Ivan the Terrible. <laughs> somebody mentioned that earlier, right? Uh, do you know what St. Basil did? He's sitting on the front steps of the church, it's Lent, mm. and he's roasting sausages. <laughs> <laughs> and Ivan walks up, and he's basically like, 
He's like, what are you doing? It's Lint. And he's just like, yeah, and you kill a whole bunch of people, so <laughs> I'm eating sausages. I'm te- this, is my, <laughs> this is my addition. It's something a little bit more, but it's basically like you're killing people, like, and you're mad at me for eating a sausage, oh, wow. right? Like, it's like Old Testament prophetic thing, which yeah. is kind of what a fool for Christ is. It's like you've got this. There's some great stories. I think it's Chekhov, some of the Russian writers, or that there's one specifically, I think it's Chekhov, where it's about uh, this pious couple and they're keeping the fast and somebody in their family comes in and like he's not kept the fast and they literally kill him in the story. Obviously, it's hammed up a little bit, but it's like, uh, hello. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you kept the fast. Wow. But the, this is all through our hymnody, right? Mm-hmm. You, t- you keep, I mean, I think there's a specific hymn that I'm remembering that's you stop eating things and you eat your brother instead, basically, right? right? Yeah. right. right. Mark would <laughs> right? let, us, let us not just fast from food, but fast from sin or, you yeah. know, just... Exactly. Yeah. It's almost, it's, it's not so much what's going in, what's coming out is revealed yeah. during the Lenten and fasting time. I, yeah, I love the line from Christum, don't... What you're stricter than Paul? Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> well, there's yeah. I mean, there's enough to attend to. Why would you add foolish things to it? So there's a lot of things to attend to. So let us attend to those things that are most needful to what has been committed to us, the preaching of the gospel, because that is the way that God manifests Himself, and to praying for clergy <laughs> uh, because we need the prayers especially for the synod I mean you think about what our bishops and synod like okay, yes there's the parish priest but then the synod or the bishops are also the one who gets flack from the entire uh, peanut gallery the concert like everyone right because they don't say something that they think they should say or they do something and that like and then they just get criticism right and to stand at this time especially, we do not have... <laughs> Has anyone seen the pictures from the recent Metropolitan Council, OCA, or the new office, the temporary office where the chancery is in D.C.? <laughs> so before in Syosset, and this is the last thing, because in Syosset, which is this area in uh, Long Island where there basically was a mansion that was gifted to the OCA back like, I think like 100 years ago or something, right? So if you see pictures of the Metropolitan like hosting somebody... It's in a nice space, right? Now they're in like a drop ceiling, <laughs> like somebody called it a dentist office. <laughs> oh, they're in, in Fol- DC. They're in Falls Church, Virginia, right? Yeah. So yeah, just okay. offices galore, right? But it was just like this fascinating, like this is uh, the Metropolitan with relics and a drop ceiling. Like I'm like, so there's this this reality of. The Pilgrim Church in North America, we don't have this, this, the place or the standing in society to, to pray for them taking the stands and shepherding us in the ways that they do. And if we disagree with something, pray even more for them, right? Because they're sinners, they're men who need help too, right? They're not perfect. So, yes, there's a sacramental function and role and leadership but there's also room for making some terrible mistakes 
as he's as Christism says, like they can be brought to heaven or they can go straight to hell. All right, let's let's end on that. <laughs> <laughs> Woe to me if I let them to heaven. Lord, now let us thou thy servant according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Thou hast prepared before the face of all people a light to enlighten the Gentiles in the glory of thy people Israel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.